Amen. Thank you, Kay. You know, there's um, something inspiring about those before and after photos, isn't there? <laughs> you know, when you look at how you were before and then how you were after, and it's just kind of fun. It's encouraging. Yeah, especially with those weight loss programs, you know, or Biggest Loser. This is how they once were, and that's how they are. Wonderful. It's exciting. And, and I love the, um, uh, not just the, the weight loss ones, you know, uh, but, but the home ones. When we see a house renovation, this is what the house looked like. And now look at this beautiful house. I wonder if before and after pictures are great. And, and, and I love houses, but I also like cars. You know, when cars have those renovations, just here there's this jalopy, and then all of a sudden it's made in this beautiful, restored vehicle. And Though they all take work, the outcome is wonderful. A positive, beneficial change. Moving from ruin to revitalized. No longer neglected, but fully functioning and useful. Yet, like my 69 Jeepster Commando, it doesn't refurbish itself. The sobering reality is that it does take money, time, hard work, and priority. And since I have owned that interesting car, it has never really been a priority. <laughs> it just, I'm hoping one day it'll come out and miraculously be fixed, but it's just not that way. Because I haven't made it a priority. And if it weren't for uh, friends and that saying, hey, Mike, you know, come work on this. Rich Figure and others have been encouraging me, and, and I, nothing would have been done. Um, but I've really put not that much resource into it. And it just sits there gathering dust. I move it every now and then just to see that it does run. (laughs) But sometimes we can do that same thing with the things of life, if not life itself. We settle for it is what it is. It's just the way things are. This is as good as it gets. And yet it could be much more. We as a church had a renovation project on our kitchen. And sure, it was okay, you know, it, uh, it, was, it was functional, but we knew it could be so much more. And so we set out to rebuild it. And look at it. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. If you haven't seen, yeah. Many people and many of you have uh, sacrificed financially and some of the others have worked hard for it to, to create a beautiful functional kitchen. And if you, you got to go see it. It's just outside here. Go all the way down to the gym and, and, you know, just take a peek, a look inside. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, Just don't go during the sermon unless it's really boring. And then I'll know and I'll point you out. No. (laughs) But but, uh, many of us uh, were involved in that and it's so much more useful now. And I believe we've served thousands out of it already. Well, like the church kitchen, we uh, as a church are on a rebuilding project. Not the renovation of our facilities, though I'm sure there's some places that could use some renovating, but the interior structure of how we do church. We have sensed from God that we need to clarify who we are and why we're here to understand God's unique call, unique calling on our church. 
So we have been adjusting ministries and, and events and how we operate. So we, we will be more the caring, thriving church that God wants us to be. And so we want to make sure that we're in line with God's biblical purposes. We want to make sure that we are fulfilling God's vision of our church. We want to make sure that we are true to the values that He has given us and that we are accomplishing His mission and that we're following His strategy to align ourselves to this unique and wonderful call. So we've been doing some refurbishing. Uh, one of the things that we did that right off does not notice that well is that we uh, redefined what elders do, our governing board. And they're fully into that and moving to that. And then we've also been altering some of our governing documents so it helps us to be more of that thriving, caring church that we should be. And, and we started right before summer to talk about that. And then we decided we're going to wait till after summer to begin talking about it more. So you're going to be hearing uh, from time to time about these uh, adjustments. So we're going to share them with you so you know about them so you can give us permission or, or not uh, to be able to move on with that. We're in a time of rebuilding. And as I was praying through this time of rebuilding... And, and studying for uh, today's text, it was obvious to me that the Lord reminded me of who we are and what he wants with us. That each of us are on a consistent and continuous refurbishing, rebuilding project. So that we each would be that picture of something that was before and yet in process of something that could be. We are God's projects working on to rebuild and restore. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word workmanship is, uh, is a, a word meaning uh, intricate craftsman or skilled uh, craftsman. Someone so intricate that they design uh, rings or, or pendants or crowns. Uh, they make these beautiful pieces of jewelry, and God is that... Uh, skilled craftsmen at work in our lives, helping us, growing us uh, on that work in progress renovation of us. Second Corinthians uh, 4.16 puts it this way, therefore we do not lose heart though we are outwardly wasting away. Boy, I wish that was true of my life. My waste just seems to be expanding, not I want it to waste away So maybe there's some diet plan in here somewhere. But we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Excuse me. We um, um, outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. We are that, that work in progress that God is doing and renewing and restoring in us. And as we gather as believers uh, together in, in a church, our goals and desires as a church is that, as Colossians 1.28 says, we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. You see, God knows the environment in which we live. We live in this sin-sick world. And He understands how greatly it affects us and even causes us ruin in our life. We make devastating mistakes. We get involved in bad relationships. We do drugs. We make unwise business deals. We do nothing. We sin big time and life gets laid to waste. We're also affected by others' mistakes in this sin-sick world. A divorce, an abuse, an abandonment. And life as we know it is devastated. Even things like sickness, uh, natural disasters, accidents, the economy, the government can cause life to be reduced to rubble. Much of life 
does more tearing down than building up. But God's desire is to take the ruins of life and restore them so that we can be an active part of His plan and His purposes, bringing Him glory, fulfilling His unique call in life as He has for us as individuals and He has for us as a church. That we are in, He is in the business of changing lives. See, we as a church and we as individuals are rebuilt to reach out. We are repaired, restored, renovated, refurbished. So we would be used to reach out with the life-changing, life-giving message of Jesus to the world. And each of us are a testimony. You know, we, we show the example of God's work in progress as we move through life. When we go from, you know, this way in our life to this way in our life. Ah, uh, oh, that hurt. And, but we are a work in progress. <laughs> you know, I think of the mess uh, my life would be in without Jesus. See, we're people that God has changed. And God wants to use that change to point others to him and to encourage others and to cause others to say, if it can happen to that guy, <laughs> it certainly can happen to me. We're rebuilt to reach out. That's God's life-changing plan for each of us and this church. And it really helps us from time to time to be reminded by God who we are and to be encouraged by God why we are here. And right in the middle of the Bible book of Acts, right in the middle of a major controversy, God gives us that reminder. It's found in Acts chapter 15, verses 14 to 18. Why don't you stand with me and let me read you that scripture. James is addressing the church, this council. And he says in verse 14, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And then he quotes, actually quotes in the Old Testament prophets, Amos. After this, I, I speaking of God, after this, God, I, God says, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild. I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Would you stay standing for prayer? Father, um, I'm thankful that you are in the business of renovating. Not just that first time from that initial decision, but all in life, you bring us on a journey so that we are constantly being rebuilt and renewed and restored. And Father, I pray this morning as we are challenged from your word and reminded of who we are and why we're here. Lord, you would encourage us. Holy Spirit, teach each one of us at our individual point of need. And may this be a, a wonderful time where you speak to our hearts, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated and I encourage you to uh, take out your, your worship folder that you were given. Fold it back. There's a note place to take some notes. Jot down some verses that we talk about uh, and fill in the blanks and the answers will be up on the screen. But we're given in this, in this Acts chapter 15 a challenge to be rebuilt so that we can reach out. And as I said, this reminder from God of who we are and why we're here 
and, and, and that we are people in need of repair, and yet we have a purpose, comes in the middle of a church controversy over circumcision. John Piper, a great Bible teacher and pastor and theologian, sums it up like this. It's 15 years since Jesus died and rose again. Some zealous Jewish Christians from Jerusalem made a trip to Antioch and began to preach among the Gentile Christians. And this is what they said, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, middle part. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this does not go over very well with Paul and Barnabas. Write down Galatians chapter 2. Read that sometime and you'll see that Paul is ticked off royally. Uh, He's not very happy about uh, them saying this. And so they all, they call a church business meeting in Jerusalem. The Antioch church decides to send Paul and Barnabas to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem to see if there's some doctrinal unity that can be achieved. Luke records four phases of the controversy. Controversy. They go like this, verse 5. Luke tells us that uh, Christian Pharisee says, Gentiles, non-Jews, must be circumcised following the Jewish law. In verses 7 through 11, Luke tells us what Peter said. That, that back when he was uh, dealing and, and talking to Cornelius, uh, and you remember that in Acts chapter 10, we, we shared that up here a while back, but it, that, he, that God gave them, uh, there was no distinction between Jew and Gentile, that God gave them, them, the Holy Spirit, and cleansed their hearts by faith, that both Jew and Gentile are saved through faith, faith in the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Luke tells us how God had done signs and wonders among the Gentiles through the hands of of Paul and Barnabas. And then finally, Luke tells us in verse 13 to 21 how James, the leader of the church at that time, gave the concluding resolution that carried the day. James bases for his conclusion the word of God, the text that we're going to be looking at today, explains that we all have issues, that we all are ruins being rebuilt by God for the purpose to reach out to our world. Two life-changing choices to be made by us to be rebuilt to reach out. The first one is to welcome God's work, to invite God in, and to yield to God's design and process to take the ruins of life and rebuild them so that we would be that witness, that example of God so that people will seek the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, Luke here quotes the, the biblical prophet is written down, Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. What's interesting is that Luke, or Luke, as he records James's argument, James does not, or Luke does not quote directly from the Hebrew in this passage. He quotes from the Greek translation of that. Uh, it's very close to the original, but has a different twist on it. Uh, but it's, it, it deals with the future that's even beyond us. It still captures the essence of the meaning of the text that all the prophets speak of, all the major prophets of the Bible speak of, that God is in the business of rebuilding and restoring and transforming ruined lives. Acts fifteen sixteen. After this, God says, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent its ruins i will rebuild and i will restore it now he's not speaking specifically of david's tent in the desert that was there he's talking about a people he's talking about lives not only the jewish people those who've been grafted in and god says that he's in the business of transforming lives and all of us are in that process 
Every single one of us. Uh, have come, well, most people in this room have come to the place where they believe in Jesus as their Savior. Uh, you have made that decision where you understand you're sinful, that you need a Savior, and that Jesus is it. And then now we're on this process, this journey. How many of you grew up in a Christian home? How many of you did not, like me? <laughs> yeah, we're all different. We all have different backgrounds, and we, we met God at a certain place, if we've come to that place. And I encourage you, if you haven't yet made that decision to believe in Jesus, uh, investigate him. It'll change your life in a great way. Uh, but we're all in this journey, this process, you know, moving from this to this, uh, spiritually, so to speak. And, and we're on a journey, and we all have different hang-ups and, and things that need to be challenged with. But we're all in this process of, of, of changing lives, our life. God is changing our life, rebuilding and renovating us. You know, so much we think that we've got to be perfect. Once we get saved, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, we're like zapped into something different. We already, you know, have all this knowledge of the Bible and we know how to live right. No, we're all in process. And it's okay. It's okay. Turn to your friend and say, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. We're on a journey. You know, God wants, and what God wants from us is, is, he, is he wants us to welcome the work so much so that we, whether we wear a t-shirt or have a sign in our life like you see on some uh, lawns, you know, where it says, uh, quality construction done here. And God is, a, we should have that, wear that t-shirt, it says quality construction done here. Come take a look. I'm not perfect, but I'm in process. At least I'm better than I used to be. <laughs> Hopefully that's the case. So how do we continue to welcome God's work in our lives? Two vital reminders from Acts 15. The first one is to endure the conflict. You know, remodeling, how many of you had a remodeling project at your house? Yeah, yeah, I heard it. Ugh, it's a pain. You know, there's dirt everywhere, walls are opened up, but you know, it's never, nothing's the way it should be. You know, and, it's, and, and yet even the best of contractors, there's still dust and dirt, and, and it's just difficult. It's messy. And we need to endure the conflict. Well, God, there was a conflict in this early church in Acts 15, and God used this as a renovation opportunity to help this church. Look up at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate. Uh, There was a conflict. And they didn't just uh, sit there and get upset at the conflict or get mad. They went and did something. And so Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some others, believers, to go up to Jerusalem. They wanted to deal with this issue, to see the apostles and the elders about the question. The church sent them on their way. And they went down to Jerusalem. And even in Jerusalem, verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, Gentiles must be circumcised and, require, and required to obey the law of Moses. Uh, there was, it was a heated controversy. There were issues flying around. People were uh, frustrated, and, and yet they didn't shy away from that. They didn't run away. They hit it head on. Because the truth is that in any relationship where there are any two people together, <laughs> there will be conflict whether in a marriage or between friends, at work, in families, and even at church, maybe sometimes especially at church. (laughs) Because we are people in ruin, warped by sin 
And so we argue, we get petty, we get prideful, we get peeved. And so as we continue to move life, it adds, through life, it adds to it. The economy squeezes us, sickness, things that we hoped to happen that didn't happen, and it adds to the conflict. And yet God uses these conflicts to rebuild us stronger and more usable for Him. Now many of you know this Bible verse. You've read it before and heard it and challenged with it. I'd like us to read it out loud together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You could switch out the word trials for conflicts. It doesn't say if you face. It says whenever you face. They're going to happen. It's part of life. And we have the choice to either get all upset about it or to deal with it. God uses trials to rebuild our lives. So we are to endure the conflicts, not avoid them, not pretend that they don't exist, but to own it and to get through it. The way out is the way through. These guys in in Acts 15 didn't run away from the problem. They didn't pretend it wasn't there. They owned it and they walked through it. What conflict are you dealing with? Talk it out with God. Talk it out with others. Get help. Don't quit or shy away from it. You see, this journey that you're on is vital. Our sovereign God, the one who creates everything, who knows you intimately, has allowed this to happen because he wants you to be refined by it. He wants you to be renovated and reshaped. And sometimes it feels like really bad sandpaper (laughs) on our life. And it's difficult. God says, though, he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. He'll walk through with whatever we go through. And he's there, right there, remodeling, rebuilding. So lean on him. We may not always know why. But the promise is sure, we will be developed, rebuilt, and God is going to use it. So we're to own it. Next, wrestle for direction. In this conflict in Acts 15, they all could have let their emotions get a hold of them. They could have got angry and broken off and separated from the church in Jerusalem and started their own little sect, but they didn't. They sought God and debated the issue. Acts 15.6, the apostles and the elders met together to consider the question. Their debate all centered around what God wanted done. Regardless of tradition or regardless of, of the way it's always been done or the human ideals, they wanted to know what God wanted. So they searched the scriptures. And you saw that, that James quotes Amos, the scriptures, letting that be the guide. They talked it out. They they let God's word guide them. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, God's word, the Bible. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it took some wrestling. In in verse 7, it says, After much discussion, 
The word means to debate. It means to deliberate. It means to question and cross-examine and, and carefully investigate the issues, to search out all the facets, seeking to learn God's way of life. And we should do the same. When we come around conflicts in our life, not just to get all upset about it, but, but yes, deal with the, the emotional pain of that, walk through that, but then search the scriptures for what it says so that we know how to rebuild this thing and how to walk through it, to use that as our base. But yet to keep moving in life, not to get stuck or stopped, but to keep moving. How many of you have ever gotten a flat tire? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> call AAA. Or my kids, call Dad. Uh, um, you know... You pull over on the side of the road. We were driving home and we saw this guy's tire just shred right in front of us and he pulled off the side of the road. Now you can get out of the car and walk around to the tire and go, Oh, man! I got a flat tire! Oh! This is the worst time ever! Don't you know, God, I gotta get somewhere on time? Oh, and you kick the tire, you throw the tire on, you get all upset about it. And yet nothing happens. (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't change the tire, does it? Or you can sit there on the ground and fall down in the fetal position and worry, oh, 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 oh. tire still doesn't get changed, does it? Because you've done nothing about it. So go get help. Call AAA. Get out the jacket. You know, pump it up and put the new tire on with those little tiny skinny ones and put it on there. And then get back in the car. But sometimes we get back in the car of life and we go, oh, man, can you believe that flat tire? It was so bad. You bring your friends around. Look at this flat tire. Look, it's in the trunk here. It's all shredded. Oh, you tell stories about it. And and you just sit there and you're still not moving anywhere. You're still stuck. How many of you had more than one flat tire? Gets a little depressing after one, two, right? How many of you had like three? Anybody had 20? Okay, I have. In one car. Not all the same time. <laughs> but over the years, I've had 20 flat tires. And sometimes I want to get out of my car and go, Oh, man! Another flat tire! God, what are you doing? You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, Steve Ellis shared how he collects scars. I, I collect flat tires. And it does get frustrating at times when we face flat tire after flat tire after flat tire. But we can't avoid it. We can't escape it. We just have to endure through it to get out of the car, jack up the car, put the new tire on, and get on moving. Sure, get help. Have people help you as you along the way. For this allows us to thrive and be that stunning example of what God can do. And I can change a tire really fast now. <laughs> I've had plenty of practice. So we are to welcome God's work. This is life-changing. As well, so it is when we choose to reach out to, and welcome others in. Now you may have done this uh, when you've had a building project at your house or, or maybe your school or your work or, or whatever that you've either uh, o- opened your house to have them come view this, or had an open house, uh, maybe to show off some artwork or whatever, but uh, you've welcomed people to kind of view God's or your work 
And we are to do that with God, to have him view, have others view God's work. And when we have an open house, it's uh, encouraging, yeah, to the host, but it's also inspiring to those who come through. I know uh, Christy, she loves to go look at new homes and, and open houses because she wants to see how people have <clears throat> rearranged their house. And oh, I like that. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, that's really good. And she comes away inspired. Some people do that with art. You know, see beautiful art. Oh, I, I, I can do that. You know, I want to try my <clears throat> idea at painting or you see how things are being done. And it's inspiring. It's encouraging. <clears throat> when we welcome people into our lives, though we struggle with our issues, we are putting God's work on display. Reconstruction that draws people to a deeper connection with God. In Acts fifteen sixteen, James, or Luke recording James' comment, as he quotes Amos, he says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. And then verse 17 comes in with an interesting word. It says, that. The word really means so that, or in order of that. In order that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. That God is rebuilding in order that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who bear his name. God rebuilds lives and nations. Not so they can hoard God's blessing to themselves. He rebuilds you and I and churches. Not so we can hoard God's blessing to ourselves. But to be an example. To make a way for others to find God. So how do we keep from hoarding God's blessing and welcome others into a life? Two ways. The first is to be a witness. Some of you remember Acts 1.8. Uh, Jesus said in, in, in the command form, be my witnesses. Put your life on display. Let others know what's happening in your life. Tell other people. Be ready when people ask to, about the hope that's in you. Let, the, let it out. Be a witness. Acts 4, 19 through 20, uh, uh, Peter is, is before this group of people who says, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter goes, I can't, I can't. It's just part of my life. It just comes out. We need to tell other people about Jesus and avoid the pull to be in solely Christian circles, but to be among people who need Jesus, to be among Gentile type. You know, uh, uh, this controversy bust open Christianity, so that it would be not just a, a Jewish faith, but it would be to all people. You and I believe and, and have it open to us because of this conflict. It opened people up, and we are to let people into our lives and to be a witness, to get to know our neighbors, to hang out with people at work. I love uh, um, Brett Holloman and, and what he shared a couple of weeks ago, uh, to his Metro Evangelism. How he goes, you know, he could easily ride his, his nice car to uh, L.A. for work and listen to Christian music and, and, and pray and have his great time with the Lord. Instead, he parks his car, jumps on Metro, and uses it as an opportunity to share Christ with people. And he has story after story after story of, of opportunities. And, and I think of um, Bob Kaler. I don't know if Bob's here. Bob, you here today? You need to be working. But uh, Bob is one of our leaders uh, in uh, in our outreach ministry, base coach there, and and he uh, 
not only challenges people with evangelism and teaches about evangelism, but he's also involved in our community. He has volunteered for different community uh, uh, boards and service times so that he can be around people who need to know Jesus, so he can be a witness. We need to be a witness. Not only we need to be a help. All over the book of Acts, Christians are helping people. In Acts 2, uh, verse 45, it said they, they sold their possessions so they could help other people. In Acts 3 and other places, they saw someone who needed healing and, and, and God granted them with a gift of healing and they, and they blessed people and healed them. And they helped. All the disciples, all throughout the book of Acts, you see them helping in tremendous ways. So help. Notice needs and be polite and ask for help. You know, I share about my dad um, frequently about uh, just the peril of life and growing up in an alcoholic family. Uh, and my dad did some horrendous things. But you know, he was a great example in helping people. Everywhere that I've been when my dad was alive, and I would go to his house, whether it's in Alaska or in um, uh, Seattle, his, his neighbors would just come to me and go, Mike, your dad is so wonderful. He's fixed my heater. He's fixed my air conditioner. He's fixed my uh, timer on my light here. He fixed my car. He fixed my alarm system. And we, we love your dad. He's so wonderful. And at his memorial service, uh, just a small group of neighbors around him, they just kept telling how wonderful my dad is or was. And you know, I want to be like that. <laughs> no matter what time of day or night, you could call on Ron McKay because he would be there. And we need to be help to those around us. Help is comfort. Help is care. Help is lightening someone's load. It's making meals, giving food, mowing the grass, fixing a clogged sink. It's also being generous financially. Acts 11.29, the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. Judea was going through a, uh, a famine at that time. And so this church got together and they gave financially. Though money is not always the best way to help, at times it's just what God wants. But that requires us to follow God's way of managing our resources. So I wanted to use a little illustration this morning, personal. And uh, I, I debated over sharing this because I, it's hard to welcome people into certain areas of your life. You know that? I mean, as a pastor, it's, it, people will tell me, Almost everything about the intimate things that go on in their marriage to the grossest sin that they deal with. But it's interesting, when you start talking about money, we've crossed the line. Oh, that's too personal. <laughs> so I figured I'd just be too personal with you. <laughs> Your family. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not a generous person at heart. I'm kind of stingy. When I see someone, I can feel it coming when they're going to ask for money. And I just kind of reached out and clinched the meager change that I have. I don't even want to give out the spare change. Uh, I'm so stingy. And I hate even admitting that because, you know, man, you, our pastor's stingy. Yeah, in the human sense. But, but I'm a work in progress that God is working on. And God has, has helped me be generous. And he's helped Christy and I organize our finances. So when we do see people in need, we have availabilities to be able to do that. Now, we're not wealthy in any stretch of the means. We are according to the plans of the world. But, but, but you know, we, we, and we have big bills and you know, college bills and other things coming up. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot going on. But I want to give you three biblical principles that we follow uh, in our uh, finances 
so that we have the ability to help when people need help. Two of them are found in one verse. uh, The first one is is found in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The first two. The first one is we practice the biblical um, idea of tithing, giving a tenth of our income. Now, at first, we didn't start out with that because it, it was a struggle because we had kind of built our life around our you know, paycheck to paycheck and it was hard to carve out 10% of that right away because we had had these expenses. So we put it as a benchmark and we've shot towards it and we've gone beyond it. Now, I'm not bragging about that. I'm just telling you our finances, how we've done that. So we, we give our a tenth of our income and go beyond that. Now, and we're continuing to go beyond that and we try to add a little more each year. And, and because we're struggling through what it means to give sacrificially. C.S. Lewis, uh, challenge, his challenge still rings in my head that um, to give sacrificially is to feel the sting of going without because you've given. And, you know, once you give to a certain, uh, you're giving a certain amount and you get used to that, you get used, used to living like that. So then is it really a sacrifice? I mean, sure, you know, okay, I don't go on a really huge vacation or I don't buy a brand new car every year or whatever. Uh, but that's, I'm not, that's not really a sacrifice. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it, uh, what am, I'm not feeling it. So we try to give a little bit more each year. And then we practice the, Malachi 3.10 says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So we take the whole amount of giving, uh, now beyond the tithe, we take the whole amount and we give it to the local storehouse that we're involved in which is this church, Cypress Church. We don't give part of it to some organization that equals 10%. We give the whole tithe because it says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So we practice that. We bring the whole tithe right here. And this is where it comes. And that's, that, that's, that's our process. We bring a tithe and beyond and, then, and, and, and the, uh, um, into the storehouse. And then the, the third principle is found in Deuteronomy 18, verse 4. Now it's found all over the, the Bible, but in Deuteronomy 18, verse 4, it, sa- it talks about first fruits. And so when we uh, do our bills, the first checks we write are our giving check to this church. That's the first check we write. And I have found, you know, I don't understand this math, but I have found when the tithe checks get written first, there's always enough. When it's written last, there's never enough. And I, I don't understand how that works. It doesn't compute because they're all the same numbers. They don't change. So it's the little miracle of God. So that's what we practice, those three, three uh, um, things. And that allows us to have the freedom because you know, we give the whole tithe to the church and then, then we're able to give above and beyond. That's where some of the sacrifice comes for us to give. And so this summer, we um, supported not a whole lot, but we gave some to almost 20 different people in their small ter- term uh, times. And, and, and I'm afraid to add it up because I'm afraid how much it really is. <laughs> but it all works. We're still, we have food on the table. We're still paying our bills and, and, and God is working in that way. And then we have finances available. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm naturally a stingy person. But I want you to, I want to put on display, this is God's, it's a miracle. <laughs> because I wouldn't do this. I, I, I come from a poor family. You know, we were we were just this. Cl- well, we actually went on food stamps at one point, and so I want to clutch onto every dime I have. I pick up pennies, and I and I keep them. 
uh, because I, I, you know, I'm frugal or tight or whatever other word that's nice you want to put on that. And, and, and it's not naturally for me to be generous, but God has transformed me and is continuing to transform me. And I wanted to share that with you. And I wanted to be vulnerable with you because honestly, the reason I didn't want to talk about money is because I'm afraid of what you're going to think. Oh, here's the pastor bragging on his finances. Yeah. He just wants to be, you know, get a pat on the back. Or, oh, yeah, he's trying to manipulate me. I know it. <laughs> I'm just trying to be open to share with you, to let you in, to welcome you in so that you can see that God can work on you even in the area of your finances. It works. Because God is in this, in the business of changing lives. He's changing all of our lives. And God wants to do a work in you so that you are a testimony of his reconstruction work. See, we're rebuilt to reach out. So welcome God's work. Endure the conflict and wrestle. Welcome others in. Be a witness and a help and be vulnerable. Let people into your life. God wants to do a work in you and he wants to do a work through you. The question is, are you willing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work. Um, thank you for the way that you rebuild us and restore us and challenge us and encourage us. And Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that you rebuild. I just think for a second about what I would be like without you. And it is incredibly scary. So thank you for continuing to work on my life. Thank you for continuing to work on all of our lives. Help us continually to be willing to let you work. Thanks, Father. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, God is...